Do you believe it is a beautiful name? I do too. What a beautiful name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Some guy out in California, I don't know if it was a man, some person in California just won a lottery, almost a billion dollars. Almost a billion dollars. And that's just half the amount of money that was bet because the government took the other half. People bet almost $2 billion on the lottery. And one guy won it, and it'll ruin his life. The point I want to make is, uh, it isn't a lack of money that keeps good from being funded. It's that too much money goes to the wrong stuff, church. If there is enough money to bet $2 billion on a lottery, there is enough money to fund good in the world. Amen. The difference is, it's just easier to get people to bet on the lottery than it is to give, to, to give equal amounts of money to do good. Um, I have been committed for 40 years to raising money to do good in the world. Um, as long as God lets me lead this church, I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to ask you to think about your life and how you might be part of um, this beautiful work of a lifestyle of generosity. Every Christmas, we take a Christmas offering. And these Christmas offerings are designed so that our church can do good in the world. I, I could go through the list. Uh, Jacob reminded us, uh, we built a house and gave it to a mother and her five kids no strings attached and you gave the money for that we did a Christmas offering and, and, and got water purifiers and there's villages in third world countries right now that are using the water purifiers that you, you gave at Christmas time we did a wheelchair program there are people wheeling themselves when they were crawling through the dirt because you gave money the list goes on and on and on and on. I'm asking you to start thinking about your Christmas offering. And let's, let's see if we, if we just can't have a good Christmas offering that, uh, that makes a real difference in people's lives this year. Would you be praying with me and, and give a generous gift? Let's partner with God in doing something that lotteries can't do change uh, people's lives. Our dear Heavenly Father, you said that in you is life, and the life is the light of men. You said that you came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly.
And so I'm praying this morning that I could speak about the life of God in a way that makes a difference. And we find ourselves longing for the life of God. In Christ's name, amen. You might have seen an article. This is the, two, this is the 100th anniversary of uh, the finding of King Tut's tomb. Um, Howard Carter found the tomb in um, 1922. And the very first thing they did was they started emptying the stuff out of it and cataloging it all. Uh, then they studied uh, the specific things, what they were made out of, how they were useful. Well, recently, uh, archaeologists have been attempting to say, what do we know about how King Tut lived based on the stuff we found in the tomb? So, for example, there are a good number of walking sticks in the tomb, and it makes people believe that um, King Tut had um, a, a birth defect on one of his feet and that he had to walk with a walking stick. Uh, they found several chariots in there, which makes them believe that uh, King Tut liked to race around. He was a young man, go fast on chariots. Um, sadly, they found two tiny little caskets that had um, uh, uh, twin babies in them. Uh, King Tut and his wife lost uh, a twin babies, and they were buried with them. Um, but they've gone farther, and they've begun to look at things, and I want to show you a chair. And uh, uh, this chair, uh, the people who study it say it's unusual. First of all, it's made of gold. Um, Second of all, I don't know how well you can see the, the, the picture that's on it, but it's a picture of King Tut, um, Tutan, uh, um, Tut Ankh Amen. His name means Tut, image, Ankh, living, Amun. The living image of Amun-Ra. And his wife's name was um, Ankh Essen Amun. And this is, a, this is a picture of uh, the two of them uh, having a tender moment. Uh, uh, you can look this up. And, and um, uh, his wife is putting his, her hand tenderly on his arm. And uh, uh, the scholars believe that this is a bit unusual uh, for... Uh, Egyptian art to show this kind of affection. So it looks like uh, the two had an affectionate relationship. Uh, the reason I'm sharing this with you, uh, most, many scholars believe that Moses lived about 100 years before King Tut. He lived about 100 years before King Tut. Uh, let me um, put that into context. Uh, both of my grandparents were adults in, 18, 20, in 1922. 
Both of my grandparents were adults 100 years ago. Uh, we're really not that far. We're one person away from 100 years ago. Which means, because King Tut was royal, his grandfather knew Moses. That's how close all this stuff is. King Tut's grandfather knew Moses. All right. Moses was uh, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, and she raised him as her own son. That means he got the best education you can get in Egypt at the time. That means he wore the best clothes that were made. That means he lived in palaces. That means he ate what only rich people can eat. Um, and uh, Stephen tells us that he was mighty in word and in deed. Um, you say, why isn't he in any of Egyptian carvings? Because they were the ultimate can uh, cancel culture. When they canceled you, they canceled you. I mean, they chiseled your name out of monuments. They chiseled your face off of uh, statues. Uh, they weren't kidding around. Moses was a phenomenon. He was the fair-haired boy, his mom's only son. But somewhere in that extravagant living, the life of God touched Moses in a very real way. And Moses had this sense that God was going to use him to deliver the Hebrew people from Egyptian bondage. And he assumed that the Hebrew people knew that, but they didn't. And on a very tragic day, Moses made the biggest mistake of his life, and he murdered an Egyptian official. And before the Pharaoh could find out, Moses packed up whatever he could pack up, started walking east on a trade route to get out of Egypt. He went from living in palaces to being a homeless man. He went from having servants who waited on him day and night to having to scrounge to get by. He went from the pinnacle of power to a homeless drifter. And as he drifted, he made his way east and came to the land of Midian, which I believe is northern Saudi Arabia today. And he made friends with a, 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 a Midian priest named Jethro. And Jethro said, you don't have a job and I need somebody to take care of my sheep, I'll give you a job. Moses said, I'm not getting any other offers, I'll take it. And Moses became a Bedouin shepherd in what we call uh, 
um, Saudi Arabia today. What happened to Moses' soul? How does the human soul take that kind of fall? Well, if I read the Bible the way I think it wants to be read, Moses lived under uh, the pressure of being disappointed. He was on the fast track to somewhere. And now all he did was day after day wander around in the wilderness with a bunch of smelly sheep. He was a disappointed man. And it looks like, if I read the Bible correctly, Moses made a big compromise, and he said to himself, I guess this is the best it's ever going to be. I guess I once had an opportunity, but I've obviously ruined that. And so I'm just going to settle for this. Moses stopped living and just began surviving. Moses stopped contributing, and just became a consumer. And you know what's sad? Some of you recognize that, Moses. You look at him in the mirror every day. Some of you remember when you dreamed of significant things. You remember when opportunities looked good to you. You remember what ambition felt like. But this happened and that happened. This changed and that changed. And somewhere along the line, you made the big compromise. And you gave up on what might be your best life because you just couldn't stand the disappointment church if that's where you are this morning I want to offer you this, the thing that changed Moses' life and that was an, a real encounter with the life of God so Moses has compromised he's given up that life could be any better than what it is he lives in a tent with his wife Zipporah and wanders around with sheep, but remembers what it was like when he was on top of the world. And one day when he was coming home, he looked out over the plain and he saw a fire. And he thought to himself, that's odd. I wonder if somebody's camping over there. But as he walked, he saw that the fire was a bush burning. And he had to think to himself, I wonder how that bush caught on fire. And he kept walking. And then it dawned on him, 
The bush burned and burned, but didn't burn up. Something unusual was happening. And Moses said, I got to go over there and look at that. I got to go check that out. And so uh, he walked over there, and the book of Exodus says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not go, do not come near. Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. When Moses had given up hope, God met him in a very unusual way. But it required Moses to follow his curiosity. When Moses saw that burning bush, it made him curious. If he would have ignored his curiosity, just sat down at his camp and forgot about it, he would have missed a grand meeting with God. It could be your way forward is your God-given gift of curiosity. It could be at the end of your curiosity is a beautiful encounter with the life of God. I really believe if you have found yourself living a compromised life, settling for less than what you should settle for, God has a spark of curiosity in you. And if you will let that curiosity call to you, that curious call could be the very voice of God saying, come and see something unique enough that you're willing, you're willing to give it your best again to give it your all again. God showed up for Moses in a burning bush. You don't know where he'll show up for you, church. Just because he doesn't show up in a burning bush doesn't mean he won't show up in some equally beautiful and powerful and transforming way. But the curiosity of your heart has to be open so that he can show up. You have to be curious enough that if he does show up, you'll go see him. And when Moses met the life of God, the first thing he encountered was the holiness of God. God said to Moses, dude, get those dirty shoes off. You're standing in my holy place. Church, Oh, how beautiful it is when the Holy Spirit shows up and says, I want to clean up your life. I want to clean up your life. I want you to be able to stand on holy ground. I want my life to be so appealing to you 
that you're willing to let go of the things that keep you from having the life of God. The life of God, when Moses met him, was uncomfortable. You mustn't have this idea that God is a big teddy bear. God can be very uncomfortable, and some of you know that. God can be very uncomfortable. When Moses met God, when the life of God overflowed in Moses' presence, the Bible says he was afraid, and Moses wasn't a man who could easily be intimidated. Moses was not a man who easily backed down. We have a story about him taking on a whole group of shepherds to, to water his, uh, 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 Jethro's flock. He was not a man who could easily be frightened, but the presence of the Lord made him uncomfortable. You say, well, then why should I do that? Church, sometimes God makes us uncomfortable so that we're willing to change. Some of you have gotten so comfortable living the compromised life that God needs to shock you out of it and make you uncomfortable enough to dream of something more beautiful and something better. Sometimes God has to shock us out of our disappointment. And then God said to Abraham, Abraham, you've given up on yourself, but I haven't given up on you. And I want you to remember what I do for people. I am the God of Abraham. Moses obviously knew the stories of Abraham. He was the founder of the Hebrew people. And God said to Moses, Remember what I did for Abraham? My life can do that for you. Remember what I did for Isaac? I can do that for you. Remember what I did for Jacob? I can do that for you. Church, the God of all the great ones of the Bible is our God. And because you've given up doesn't mean he's given up. Because you don't know your way forward doesn't mean he doesn't know your way forward. Because you're not sure doesn't mean he isn't sure. And the life of God is waiting to meet you, the very same life of God that made Abraham's life great, that made Isaac's life great, that made Jacob's life great, that made Moses' life great. That very same God, that very same life of God is available today. Church. I wonder if you had to ask, answer honestly, are you open to a new experience of God? Are you open to it? If God wanted to radically transform your life, would you be open to it? Or have you gotten so comfortable living the compromised life that a new experience with God feels intrusive. 
You see, when Moses met God, nothing was the same after that. You get that? Nothing was the same. The life of God so changed him that nothing was the same. He couldn't go back to the old rhythms of life. He couldn't escape the haunting feeling that his life had purpose, that he had something to do, that there was meaningful things that God was about to work in his life. I wonder, I wonder, are you open to a new experience with God? Would you permit me, people my age, to talk to the kids for a minute, the young people? I want to talk to you. You've got your whole life ahead of you. Are you open to an adventure with God? You've got, you, you have no idea what the great God might do in your life if you let his life make you into your full potential. Church, when I was a young man, no one predicted what God would do with my life. And I'm telling you right now, no one can predict what God might do with your life, but you have to be open to a new experience with God. You have to be willing to let go of the disappointment. You have to be willing to give up on the compromise, and you have to say, God is the God of the great ones, and he's able to do something great in my life. And young people, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to the burning bush. I'm calling you to a curious experience with God where the life of God radically changes who you are and how you think about life. Now I want to speak to people my age-ish. Moses wasn't a boy when this happened. Moses was not a boy when this happened. In fact, some of you would be shocked to know he was about 80 years old. When it looked from the outside like he had run his race, when it looked from the outside like his better days were behind him, when it looked from the outside like uh, he, he needed to get comfortable, God called him to the most important thing he would ever do in his entire life. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I'm not done. I'm looking for another burning bush. I'm looking for another golden moment with God. I'm looking for a fresh opportunity. I'm looking for a new challenge. I'm looking for the life of God to be more powerful in me than it has ever been in my entire life. Because God never gives up on old people. It's old people who give up on God. Church. I'm going next Sunday to the West Campus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to preach my heart out. I'm going to ask them to make pledges to their new campus. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to preach the best sermon I've ever preached because the life of God is compelling to me. Church, some of you aren't done. Stop writing yourself off. Some of you need to dream a new dream. 
You need to let go of the old disappointments and start reaching out towards something beautiful, something noble, something meaningful, something that defines your very existence, and that comes to you through the life of God. Amen. And then God said to Moses, Moses, you misunderstood, but you had the right idea. I'm going to use you to deliver the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. Listen to what he said. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cries because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. The very God who saw the suffering in Egypt, he sees your suffering. Your present suffering is known to God. God sees what suffering has done to your soul. Suffering does two things. It grows the soul into a champion or it beats the soul down. And your disappointment and your difficulties and your afflictions, the God of heaven has seen them. He's not unaware. He, it doesn't miss him. Some of you are having real personal struggles, the kind of struggles you never mention to anyone, the, trying, the kind of struggles you do your best to hide the kind of struggles that you've tried and tried to overcome alone and failed. I want you to know God sees your struggles. And the life of God is able to transform your soul in the kind of way that your personal struggles will not keep you from being the champion God created you to be. Some of you came here today with real family pain. Real family pain. You came here today with um, uh, the kind of pain that only a family can inflict on your heart. I want you to know God sees your heart today. He hears your cry. The life of God is greater than your family pain. Some of you have gotten caught up in economic uh, pressure, the recession, uh, the economy. Uh, uh, you feel the discomfort and the anxiety of it all. I want you to know God sees your heart. I know people in this church are fighting for dear life. They've got health problems that are just overwhelming. There is no problem that you brought with you today that is greater than God, church. There is no sorrow that is greater than the life of God. And as God said to Abraham, to Moses, I see their suffering and I'm going to do something about it. God sees your suffering and he's going to do something about that also. 
And what he's going to do is share his life with you in the kind of way that you become greater than the suffering that you're enduring. Amen. Your soul becomes triumphant. God said to Moses, I know their suffering. Some of you feel like you're suffering alone. You're not alone. The great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is a God who sees your heart. When I was a boy, people used to sing, uh, tears are a language God understands. The song said, God weeps along with man. He takes you by the hand. Tears are a language that God understands. Church, and it's true. It is all true. Because of the great life of God, no one has to suffer alone. In fact, the life of God heals the wounded soul. That is what the scriptures tell us again and again and again, that he binds up the brokenhearted, that there's something so healthy about God that it heals the wounded human soul. And then God said to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But... Moses said to God, uh, no, I'm afraid you got this wrong. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. Listen to this. Moses couldn't see himself the way God saw him. Moses got himself in a bad spot in life. Moses got so used to his disappointment that he could no longer see himself the way God saw him. Moses defined himself outside of the life of God. He said, who am I? Hey, God, remember I tried that once? Remember the thing back in Egypt? I, 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 I tried that once. Remember how bad that turned out? think we want to do that again Moses misdefined himself he underrated himself God had done great things in his life and prepared him uniquely but Moses couldn't see it he second-guessed himself he second-guessed himself uh, maybe I shouldn't have maybe I should have done this maybe I shouldn't have done that he felt the tyranny of saying to himself in a mental loop again and again and again, if only I would have done this, and if only I wouldn't have done that. Moses lived the boring life of being under-challenged. Church, I don't know if there's anything more boring in life than being under-challenged. You just live day after day on autopilot. Finally, if you ask Moses to be honest, he would have said, I'm unhappy and discontent. That's how he defined himself. But listen how God defined Moses. 
Listen to what God said. Moses, if you will share my life, I see you in an altogether different way. First of all, he said, I will send you to Pharaoh. God said, Moses, I trust you. Maybe you can't see it, and maybe you don't feel it, but I trust you. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you this morning, God trusts you maybe more than you trust yourself. God has more hope for you than you have for yourself. God has a bigger dream for you than you have for yourself. And I wonder if you would just step by step lay down your definition of yourself and start picking up God's definition of you. Let God define you. And he says, the very first thing I want you to do, know about yourself is, I trust you. And then God said to Abraham, I mean, God said to Moses, it doesn't matter what I say today, I'm talking about Moses, okay? Can we agree with that? All right. God said to Moses, you're a great leader. Moses said, yeah, you got that wrong. You see these stinky sheep, I walk, they follow me. That's not a great leader. Listen to what God said. You're a great leader. You're going to bring my children Israel out of the most powerful kingdom in the world. That's how good of a leader you are. Church, what might God use you to do to change the world if you let him define you in a way that he sees you and not the way you are defining yourself and not the life you have surrendered to? And then God said, and more than that, Moses, you are a worthy partner. I'm gonna be with you. I want you to be my partner. Church, there is a life in God where God sees us in a way very different than we see ourselves. God sees us with a greater clarity than we see ourselves. And God sees us as who we can become if we'll let his life transform our lives. And then Moses said to God, yeah, but nobody even knows you. If I go tell the Israelites, the God of our fathers has spoken to me, they'll say, what's his name? And then what am I supposed to say? God said to Moses, I'm gonna tell you what you say. You say that I am who I am sent you. In the, Sep in the Septuagint, it's I am the one being sent you. The one who is ultimate life, the one who is ultimate reality, the one who is ultimate existence, the being that makes all being possible, he is the one who sent you. Brothers and sisters, that's our God. Who can be against us if God is for us? What can't we do if he is our God and he is the ultimate source of all life and being? What is the life of God? The life of God is the life that God lives himself. Infinite, eternal, immutable, immense, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, perfection. 
The life of God is God sharing his life with us. The resource of my life is not what I can dream up myself. The resource of my life is not my own strength. The resource of my life is not my own goodness. The resource of my life is the life of God. The life of God is spiritual, not biological. The life of God is intellectual. It changes the way you think about everything. The life of God is emotionally healthy. It is a deep, rich inner sense of well-being. It is the soul worshiping God saying, it is well, it is well with my soul. The life of God is an empowered life. The life of God is a purposeful life. It is a meaningful life. It is a life in which God is present day after day. And then when all of this passes, it is eternal life. The life of God is the best life humanity can imagine. Probably the best life beyond what humanity can imagine. This story was so powerful that Jesus used it in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the Sadducees got it in their head that they could make Jesus look bad in public. And so they ask him this tricky question about the resurrection. Well, they thought it was tricky, and Jesus just blew the question out of the water. And then he said to the Pharisees, when God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was saying he was the God of the living, not the dead. Do you know what, church? Christ wants to say that to you today. He is the God of the living, not the dead. He is the God who is capable of meeting you in your life right now where you are and giving you a life you could never otherwise dream of. He is the God of the living. There is a life to be lived with God that is greater than what you can imagine, and it's available to everybody in this room. You just have to be curious enough to turn and start looking for God. You just have to be willing to let go of the old compromises, to let go of the old disappointments, to let go of the old self-definitions, and you gotta go to the, you gotta go to the source. And you have to say, you promised that you came that I could have life and that I could have it more abundantly. And I'm asking you for that promise today. I'm, I'm opening my life for your life to do something significant in me that I can live the meaningful life that you created me to be, to live. And that I can be your partner in this generation in doing something that's worth doing. Our dear Heavenly Father, I'm always impressed by you. I always find that there's something very interesting about you. Dear God, somehow or another, you spark my curiosity again and again and again. And I myself want to go to the burning bush today. I want to go to the source. 
I want to get, I want the life that only you can give. I'm praying for my brothers and sisters in this room, especially the ones that your Holy Spirit is stirring up something in them. You're stirring up a new flame in them. You're stirring up a new interest in them. You're stirring up a new desire in them. Oh, how I pray that the life of God would be powerful and persuasive and they would connect with you in the way that will make all the difference. And I ask this all through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.